Welcome to the Bird and Steep Podcast. Though I didn't do 20 or 30 years locked up, and I never spent time in the hole or had to make a shiv, after six years in the Texas penal system, I've still seen some stuff. I've lived through many lockdown endured authoritarian regimes, seen riots, learned how to navigate deeply entrenched racial issues, and as the world around us snowballs further into insanity, I can't help but think how like prison this all is. Yet it wasn't all doom and gloom, I made some incredible friendships along the way, learned things about myself I don't know if I ever would have uncovered, and I learned that prison Mike was right. They do serve gruel and there are dementors, though they aren't the worst part of it. Join me as I share stories from the inside and dive into how my time locked up has changed, altered, and shaped my views now that I am on the outside. Hello, my fellow human beings. My God, has it been a minute. I am sorry. I think I took about a month off. I had some personal things that were going on that I had to sort through. Um, Stuff like, um, where am I going to call home for the next six months to a year? How am I going to approach that? Uh, I had some major decisions that I had to make. Still in the process of having to make some of those decisions. Um, And just stuff like work and... and, um, Things I can share later on, just about what I'm having to deal with as far as like being an ex-felon and being out in the work environment and uh, also living situation, how that kind of changes things and complicates things. But also on top of that, I've got my own personal goals and dreams that I'm still aiming towards. And so I'm trying to tailor all that Um to work in according with that. Now I'm not putting any details in there because I can come later on and I can just kind of go into that and I don't want to do that right now. But I just want to say I am sorry. I haven't been able to uh, be as consistent with this as I wanted. Um, But we're back on track and we're back on track with a subject that is a doozy. I think that's what us white people are calling it. Um, We're going to be talking about race today, race in prison. I would have loved to have gotten some takes from some of my fellow inmates but the ones that i've reached out to just have not gotten back to me as far as wanting to be on a podcast or anything like that yet so uh, i'll keep exploring that and if you know anybody that you think may want to come on here and discuss some of these issues i'm more than happy to bring them on uh the crazier they are probably the more interesting but we can rock with whatever way it goes Either way, um, this is just going to be me sharing some thoughts that I've had and just some of my own experiences It is probably going to run a little bit long just because I'm going to try to get a lot of meaty stuff into this one podcast. Um, And then I've got some other stuff that I've been working on that I'm really excited to be doing. And uh, so we've got a lot of things in the works, but just wanted to say that I'm very grateful to have this opportunity to be here, to be speaking with you guys. And I hope that you guys are well. I hope that you guys are staying sane during the chaos of what we're seeing going on in the world today. Um, To say that these are unique times is just a massive understatement. And there's just a lot of things that are at play here. And there's a lot of insanity going on. Um, And so I'm hoping to bring some things that have helped me step back and not get sucked into the insanity of what's going on because 
I had to step back when I was locked up so I wouldn't get sucked into the insanity of what was going on during those times. And it's taught me some things to be able to do that. And so I just thought I would share that with you guys and then just some personal stories, reflections, and then we'll go from there. So that's it. Let me just go ahead and launch right into it. And uh, we'll get into the subject on race and prison. Now, before I do that, let's go ahead and just do a little bit of lingo with Ringo. Set the stage on some terminologies that I'll be using so that you can be familiar with it as well. Let's do it. Now, since we're going to be talking about race today, uh, we're going to be talking about specifically about three specific races because in the Texas prison system, it's primarily made up of these three races. And then we're also going to be talking about some gangs just because gangs are a part of the uh, the culture of prison and therefore define race. It's defined by the gangs that, that uh, are running the place or that you're associated with. Uh, that's wherever you're at. So anyway, the first one is um, the three races. I think it should be pretty obvious. But here in Texas, it's blacks, Mexicans, and whites. Now, I can't say that the population is this percentage black, this percentage Mexican, this percentage white. I can't tell you that. I can tell you that whites are the minority. And I can also tell you that depending on where you are locked up, what unit you're at will determine the population of or is it predominantly more black or is it predominantly more Mexican now I can use culturally appropriate terms like African American or Latinos but that was not the world we were living in or that I was living in and so it was simply the brothers the blacks then you had the Mexicans and you had the whites and so when I make that reference it's just because that's where I've been and that's how we were defining it and so anyway just going with that all right so the way it works is that the gangs are broken up by race and then once that's broken up then it's broken up by location or sometimes ideology um so we'll start off with the whites the ones that i was familiar with that i dealt with was the uh they were called woods woods did not really like to be called a gang but they were basically white people that looked out for each other. And they did a lot of things that the other gangs did. They were really political in the dorm system, and they made sure that the whites were represented. And they were supposed to stand up for each other whenever there was conflict and stuff like that. Uh, so for the whites, it was the woods. There's other groups like the Knights Templar, Aryan Brotherhood, Texas Syndicate. But the only ones that I really experienced and dealt with were the woods. Then among the blacks, the only two that I specifically knew of um, were the Bloods and the Crips. And the reason I'm hesitating on this is because mainly whenever you're dealing with a black person, you're dealing with a black person. You're dealing with them as a whole. Just they were representing themselves and nobody else. But the ones that were like a part of a group or part of a gang were the Bloods and the Crips. But they weren't announcing it as much as let's say the woods or the mexicans now among the mexicans it was the there's three specific groups that i saw that were the primaries and that was the ma's which is mexican mafia uh that's kind of like a little more universal or and centrally located then you have the tango blast which came out of the houston area predominantly and then you have the oda homes which was san antonio based and then of course there's others there's, there's several others but those are the primaries. So 
again, you can see it's uh, gangs are broken up by race, and then race is also broken up by um, location. Uh, one of the interesting things is that location sometimes trumped race, and location sometimes trumped sometimes trumped like who you're rolling with. But for the most part, uh, that's how everything is broken up. So that'll do it for Lingo with Ringo. Let's go ahead and jump right back in. So the first thing to know is that prison is, when it comes to race, the complete opposite of the world that we're living in today. The group thinking on race and everything that you're seeing going on, where race is not talked about, it's, um, I, I mean, it's talked about, but it's talked about like today, it's like, we talk about it in a protest or we tweet it or we do, but we don't have these conversations like one-on-one -on -one with people of other races about race. Like we don't, you know, you don't go to the cafeteria at your work and say, oh yeah, the Mexicans are sitting over here and the whites are sitting over there and the blacks are sitting over there, you know, figure out where you need to be, but don't step out of line. Uh, that <laughs> can you imagine the S show that would happen? The, the fallout that would happen if somebody did that to somebody at work. Oh, my God. But your very first day, this is your introduction to the world you're living in. It is a, hey, you're white. So, and, and yeah, I look white, but I'm also have Mexican. But either way, I look white. So I'm being approached by the whites. I'm being told, hey, this is what's going on. This is who we are. If you have any problems, come talk to us. Yada, yada, yada. This is where we sit. If you step out of line, then maybe we'll help you out. Maybe we won't, blah, blah, blah. But, you know, don't go sit at the table. That belongs to the brothers. Don't go hang out in that area. That belongs to the Mexicans. Yada, yada, yada. From day one, that is established. That is, that, that's written in stone. Everywhere you go, this is how we're handling race situations. It's very upfront. It's very abrupt. And it's not something that is pitter-pattered around. It's clearly and instinctually defined, whether you like it or not. So if you're listening to this and your association with talking about race is almost a little bit nervous, kind of like, well, I don't want to offend anybody and I don't want to talk about oh, too openly about it and that type of stuff, this world and just sharing with you what's going on might really actually offend you. It may actually really bother you. And so going into this, I'm just trying to say, I'm not saying this stuff because I'm trying to be defiant and I'm not trying to say, Hey, I don't care who I offend and all that. I'm not, I'm not, this is just the reality of what's going on there. And because of that, you're going to, you're going to take away what you're going to take away. And I took away what I was going to take away. I've actually, there was some really clear benefits to me by being open and upfront about these things. And there was obviously some very negative fallout and, and, uh, just, I don't know what you want to call them scars or wounds that's happened because of things being defined by race so clearly and so upfront. So you take from it what you want. I'm just going to be sharing with you my experience and I'm sure what's been an experience for a lot of other people that have been through this type of system. 
All right. So since race is something that is talked about openly, it's we literally are taught not to avoid it right off the bat. Uh, it's it's wide open. It's it's right there out there. Um, there are some things that kind of happen because of this. So just go ahead and lay this out. Um, racial understanding in the prison system creates rules. It creates structure. Now, it doesn't matter if I like that structure or I approve of it. It just simply exists. It has existed since, I don't know, <laughs> you pick the time. I mean, <laughs> since the 1800s, since the 1900s, uh, you know, however sadly long prison systems have existed, specifically in America, the prison system has basically created its rules and system starting with race and i think part of the reason for that is that it's if you have an issue instead of you've got let's say a hundred different people with a voice if you break it up into three predominant or four or five predominant groups then what happens is you've got four or five people that are trying to work out the issue representing their larger whole rather than you have a hundred different people trying to work this out. Um, a story just real quick, something on top of my head was we were having some serious racial tensions that were going on in our dorm. Uh, specifically it was between the blacks and the Mexicans. And I, I cannot exactly remember what the issue was, but it was something stupid. It's always something stupid, but for us, in that moment, it was a big deal. And to them, it was a very big deal because it was a, the Mexicans were basically putting their foot down saying, hey, we're not going to let you step all over us. And the blacks were saying, hey, uh, these are the way things go. These are, you know, the rules. We're, we're trying to hold everybody to it, yada, yada, yada. And so what happened was one, <laughs> there was three white guys in that dorm. I was one of them. And no, there was four. And so they had one white guy, he was a wood, he was representing, and then they had two black guys representing two different groups of the blacks, and then they had two Mexicans representing two different groups of the Mexicans. And those five were at a table hashing things out. As they're talking things through, you're watching in the dorm as people are starting to lace up their boots. When people start lacing up their boots, putting on their shoes, doing things like that, it means that they're prepping for things in case they pop off. They want to make sure that they have their shoes on so they have a grip so they can get, if they get in a fight, you know, they've got at least a little bit of advantage, a little bit more protection. So you just see that everyone's starting to kind of, all the groups starting to lace up their boots. Um, my celly was black and he was solo. He wasn't a part of any of the groups and stuff like that. He also... And, and I love, I mean, he was a great guy. Me and him got along, but he was also kind of thrown off. And so when he saw them getting together, he goes, what are you guys talking about? And they said, oh, well, we're discussing this issue and we're trying to resolve things. And he's like, well, what are you doing? Why am I not there? And they said, well, because you got two guys here that are representing you because he was black. And he's like, they don't represent me. They don't talk about me. They're not a I'm not a part of them. I have nothing to do with them. We're not even from the same hometown. And he started going off and he started raising a ruckus and yada, yada, yada. And by doing that, he was creating disorder 
and they were trying to solve things within the order that they had set. And so ultimately what it came down to was him and uh, one of the other black guys, Tyson, that was heading up that group, uh, were basically like, we're going to go to the showers and we're going to bang it out. And, and, uh, and solve it and yada, yada, yada. And, but that's an example of how they were dealing with the problem at hand and why you, why they were using race to kind of break things up, to minimize the amount of voices that you were having. And then what happens is you throw, you just start throwing random people in that are like, Hey, I'm not about those rules. I didn't agree to that. You don't represent me. And then it starts creating disorder and all that type of stuff. And I want to say that ultimately because they fought it in a weird way, it actually calmed everything down and we didn't end up with a race war, which is pretty much where we were headed that night. Um, but not every, not every unit's the same. Not every, so not every place I went to was specifically defined by, Hey, the Mexicans sit here, the blacks sit here, the whites sit here, blacks get to play basketball. And if you want to play, you have to ask permission. Whites play handball, blah, 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 blah. Like, there's places I went where those were the rules and there's places I went where those weren't the rules. So every place was going to have their own rules, but first and foremost, it was decided, how are we going to deal with race? Are we breaking up based on where you're from? Uh, you know, the color of your skin, blah, 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 blah. That's something that has to be sorted out. So, uh, that was one of the first things that you see in a when when race is wide open is that it's clearly talked about and that it's used to define the rules and the culture of what's going on in in the system and so because of that nobody took it personal everyone's just kind of like this is the way it is and so there was never a fight there was never any type of battle because the Mexicans got together and said hey this is our table this is where we're hanging out. That was actually respected. It was kind of like, oh, okay, cool. There's clear defined rules. Now I know something. And if I cross that and there's problems, for the most part, nobody's going to do anything for you because you broke the rules that were clearly there. Another weird thing that I saw is that, and if you ever watch the movie American History X, um, the main character, he has... He's a purist. He's thinking we only whites only deal with whites and look out for whites and we hate every other group. Then he gets to the prison system and he sees that the whites are trading with the Mexicans and moving this with the blacks and da 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 da. And he has a personal problem with this. And then ultimately the the dogs turn on him. So the weird thing that I saw was that if you were very clear cut about who you were it didn't mean that you couldn't associate with anybody else so there was guys that were like i hate black people but they played chess with a black person or there was black people that couldn't stand mexicans or hated whites and yet when if they worked in the kitchen and one of those guys was selling something they were coming up and they were bartering with them to get some of the stuff they had deals worked out with different people and it was almost like i thought it was i I remember i asked one of the guys i was like he was black and i said hey i said you're dealing with that guy right there 
you know that he doesn't like black people. I'm just surprised that you deal with him. And I remember the guy told me, he's like, it's the devil you know, man. I know who he is. I know what he's about. He knows who I am, and I he knows who what I'm about. And because of that, because those things were clearly defined, it was kind of like he didn't see him as an unknown threat. He knew he knew the threat that that guy was, and therefore it was kind of like he didn't have to worry about that person being something. It's the unknown and the undefined that really kind of unsettles people. So the guys that I saw that were suspected of being racist but were too political or cowardly to come out with it were actually the least respected amongst the other groups. And it was the guys that were clear and upfront about who they were and where they stood that in a weird way actually had, I wouldn't even say it was a respect, but it was kind of a weird form of respect among the other groups. So that was a weird dynamic that I saw that actually kind of surprised me. Okay, so let me cut in right there and add into this. Um, I've already recorded this, so after listening to it, I was like, I need to clear some things up. The first thing is that I am not in any way advocating for the race-defined relations that used to exist in this country. In no way am I advocating for that. I'm not even saying that this is a good system. I'm just saying that this is the way it was, and there were some benefits to it. Um and it, it was it, it got it dealt with the elephant in the room right off the rip and right off the bat because you got different people coming from different walks of life and then different neighborhoods, different ways of thinking. This is one of the main issues that had to be hashed out first and foremost early on was how was the dorm and how was everybody going to uh, have an understanding and deal with these issues on race right off the rip. Now, the difference that I w- I've been thinking about between the two, between what went on in America when we defined race and said, hey, blacks can only you know use these bathrooms and whites use this and yada, 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 compared to what was going on there was in America, you had one race defining the rules for all the other races. There was a disparity of power. And so because of that, you had one race or one group superiorly superiorly there a little slow today acting and lording over people of other races in prison there was a little bit of a disparity of power depending on what the population numbers were but for the most part everything was pretty much even so again there wasn't a disparity of power so it wasn't one group lording over another saying hey uh, we're going to give you permission to do this, or we're telling you this is what you can do, and you can't do this because we're, you know, we're the superior race, we're the superior power, and that's what was going on in America during our heydays of racism and the, um, you know, basically seventies and before, or I don't even know, I don't know when it's really started to fade out, but uh, you understand what I'm saying. The other part about the reason that it was the benefit of being upfront with who you are, there's really two reasons for it. The first one is that it actually runs completely contrary to political correctness. Political correctness just really masks with non-offensive wording and language what's actually still there. When you are upfront and open about it, 
like anything that you hide that's dark and that's negative that needs to be dealt with, you can't deal with it unless it's out in the open. Also, I watched guys, guys in my own Bible study, that started off openly biased towards another race. Openly, they didn't like the other race, they hated that other race. And they would go through their own journey and they would come out on the other side of that realizing, hey, I can't do that anymore. That can't be who I am. Those were people that I did studies with. And the more we looked into our faith, the more we were like, there is no room for this here. It took time for people to get to that, get to a place where they're able to let go, forgive, and, and, and move on and all that stuff. We couldn't celebrate the journey of going from that place of hatred and uh, ostracization and all that stuff that was going on in that person to a place where it was inclusive and loving and actually where you were actually willing to give somebody the benefit of the doubt. There wasn't the ability to do that without it being open. There's a movie that came out uh, last year, and I'm trying to... Oh, Best of Enemies. It's about a black woman who's opposing the Ku Klux Klan in the South and the integration of schools and, and whatnot. And the leader of the Ku Klux Klan at that place and at that time was adamantly, I don't want anything to do with black people, I don't like them, I don't like their culture, da 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 in the movie, if you haven't seen the movie, I'm going to spoil it for you, so close your ears if you don't want it spoiled, but you should see it. The guy goes from being in a place of, I don't want anything to do with black people, I don't like them, I don't want to get to know them, to a place where he was able to move past that, let go of that, and get to a place where he could actually call uh, call them friends and look at them as they were, which is human beings. And the black people were able to actually accept him, even though from his past he had been a place of massive contention and had made their lives hell for a long period of time that journey cannot be celebrated that change that transformation that hope can't be instilled unless there's an openness with who you really are and what is really going on i understand the purpose of political correctness and that it's supposed to cut back on some of the massively offensive things that go on as far as calling somebody the n-word calling a gay guy a you know f I probably wouldn't say it, but you understand what I'm saying. To take that type of wording and that type of specific hate language out and say, hey, man, there's no place for that here. That does not, that's not going to produce anything. Like, we understand who you are. You don't even have to use that language. We know who you are. Taking that out to a place where it's everything you do offends me and uh, people are, that are wanting to blend in but don't want to change their values, they're actually be given, being, being given a blueprint in how to do that and saying, hey, if you just say this and this and don't say this, then you don't have to like them. You can hate them. You can oppose them. But you're kosher because you didn't say these certain types of words and you didn't do these certain types of actions. But it doesn't change what's going on inside. So it doesn't really actually help the situation. It just puts cologne over a pile of crap. It's not helpful. Um, and another thing that I saw that's going to be very similar to what we see, even in prison, all right, even in prison, the whites and Mexicans did not use the N-word unless they were trying to trigger something or unless they were saying it under their breath amongst each other. It was 
pretty much a if you wanted to get a black person to fight you or you wanted to get all of them on board to fight you, then yes, go ahead and loosely throw around that word and see what happens. So even there where there's a lot of tension, there's a lot of hatred and all that type of stuff going on at times, that word was never used lightly among people from other races. Among the blacks, they threw it around all the time, you know, like it's a rap video, but you're not allowed to use that word. So what's you're seeing today, exactly what's going on, going on in there. All right. So that's me just setting the layout of the land. Um, now we're going to get into the stuff where I'm going to share my own personal journey and how I dealt with racism within myself and the things that I saw and what was going on. And this is also where we're going to get to the uncomfortable side of having the honest discussions about things that I was seeing. And it's stuff that you guys, you know, some of you may not want to hear. You just, it may make you uncomfortable because right now we live in a culture that doesn't like to assign blame and it doesn't like to take responsibility for things that are being done. And they want to say, they want a utopian society, but they're not willing to acknowledge the gritty side of humanity is the best way that I can put it. So let me just share basically what this experience that I had taught me about race in the system and also when I came out and how it's affected me. Now, when I went into the system, I am telling you I was 100% totally naive and green to the idea of race in America, racism specifically in America. I had seen the rest of the world. I had been to other countries where I saw it happening. I saw the Turks and their racism towards the Kurds. I had been in Uganda and heard the stories about the Rwandans and the Tutsis and the uh, and the Hutu. Uh, in Albania, I saw the Romas, the way the Albanians treated the Romas, yada, yada, yada. In Europe, I saw that the way they felt and treated the Poles, the Polish people or the Albanians and thought of them. And I knew that that was going on in my country, but as far as having ever experienced it or been a part of it i had zero experience with that whatsoever i had seen american history x i had you know watched boys in the hood i'd seen those things i knew it i knew it went on i was aware of it but because it didn't exist in my mind and i didn't think a person was i never attributed something based on somebody's race Maybe there was a curiosity about their life and where they were coming from and all that type of stuff, but I didn't have a negative perception on somebody based on their race. Then I went to prison, and then I saw the rules that were being established and all this type of stuff. My very first 90, uh, uh, 35, 35 days in prison, 45 days in prison, I forget what it was, I was in Essex County. Essex County is 97, some ridiculously high number at that time, percentage black. And almost every single one of those was either Crips or Bloods. And so, I mean, the very first day in intake, 
that uh, officer, when he saw me with my shaved head and my pale skin coming in from Germany, I look like a Nazi guy. <laughs> like, like not a Nazi guy, what do you call it? Um, what are those white supremacists, you know, whatever. Anyway, I look like one of those dudes. And I had a I had my Bible in my backpack that was with me when I was in intake. And I remember he looked at my Bible and he just looked at me and he just handed me that Bible back along with a few other books that I had. Um, one of those, actually another spiritual book. And he just looks at me and he shakes his head. Big old black guy, like 6'6", six, six, 300 pounds, pure muscle. And he just looks at me with just pity in his eyes and he just goes, you're going to need this. I didn't know what a miracle it was that he actually did there and gave to me because in all my years I never heard of them ever letting somebody in intake keep their books with them um, but that's in and of itself its own story my first few days though was racism was right there in front of me about we define who you are based on your race and all that type of stuff now here's a weird thing what I experienced was from the outside, from the inside looking out, I saw how they were treating other people, talk to other people. Um, but for whatever reason, and this is where I, this is my faith, this is where I'm like, I believe that God had put a specific protection upon me. He gave me his favor. And I think that was due to my parents' prayers and my family's prayers and my mom's and their prayer groups and everybody else. That's my personal take on it because they never looked at me and said, hey, you white this, blah, 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 blah. And they had every reason to, every reason to, and they just never did. But I watched it happen to other people. I saw this white boy just get his face smashed in, and it was his fault. He was running his mouth and, and stuff like that and drawing attention, but he got checked by this black guy and you know, he let him know, Hey, I don't like you. And I don't like your, you know, I'm trying to, I'm trying to do this cleanly. I don't like your white, butt trying to be one of us. It was anyway, it was a very clear right off the bat, blah, 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 blah. But before I went in, I had no thoughts about like, because of the color of your skin, I'm going to assume something about you. So, when I was there and everybody is like saying, hey, you know, you're this color. You need to sit here. If you have a problem, you talk to them. Don't sit there. Don't talk to that person. Don't go to that table unless you have permission or blah, 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 blah. And then I had never really spent time in a with another group of people of another color in my own country where they were the predominant. And again, I'm trying to I'm trying to not be offensive here, but the things that I saw, especially early on, especially when I was in county jail and just starting off and stuff, was that it was very very clear to me that the black people in the prison population were the ones that everybody was contending with. The Mexicans were contending with the black people. The whites were contending with the black people. The black people were contending with the black people, but it was there. It, it was almost like there. It's. It, I heard it said so many times. It was like prison wouldn't be bad if it wasn't for the black people, and then the joke was, but then it wouldn't be prison. 
And it was this idea that was going around that it was, they're the reason that it's making our lives uh, so hellish or so bad. And a lot of that came because the guys that were there that were black were louder, more demonstrative, more vocal, more prone towards, they let it known that they were more prone towards violence whether they could or not didn't matter. They were just letting it known. Hey, we're ready to go. I'm, I'll take you to the door anytime. You know, we can fin- we we can handle this in the cell. We can go to the showers. We can bang it out there. Da 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 da. But there was this also this kind of like unspoken rule that if you fight one black guy, there was a chance you were going to fight all of them. Or if you fought one of them, then all of them were going to look at you as now the enemy. And so and though. They were ready for it. In the end, nobody really wants a race war because that's when all hell breaks loose. And so if a Mexican fought a black person, there was always that edge that was there. Like, is this going to go beyond just two guys having a problem? Or is this going to become something where we have to address it as a whole? Yada, yada, yada. Now, all that being said... I'm not at any point in time saying that the Mexicans, the whites, the Muslims, the Christians were innocent of all the chaos and problems that we experienced that were going on. They just weren't the loudest about it. They weren't the most vocal about it. And they were not as open and flagrant with some of the things that that they were doing. I know this may gross you out, but... And I'm not saying they didn't do it. I'm just saying that I never saw them. (laughs) Is me just trying to like, uh, how do I say this without like offending every single person? But it was the, the only people I ever saw masturbate openly when the nurse's cart came around were some black guys. The only guys that I saw that were specifically, so I never told anybody about this, but during county, uh, my first few weeks, because you're there for 30 days before you get sent to prison. Um, about two weeks in, three weeks in, I got, I had three different cellies. The last one that I had was a, um, he, he was not open about being gay, but everybody knew he was gay. They were, he was what they would call a punk. And so I didn't have a problem with him. You know, I don't have a problem with any of that. You know, you be you, blah, blah, blah. But he was like, he would never, he didn't want to be open about it because he didn't want to have to go to the dorms where they put people that are open with their homosexuality because he didn't want to be in that environment. So he, but he couldn't hide who he was either. And so the brothers took note of that. And I remember one day they came up to me and they, I remember them kind of knocking on the door and I was the only one in the cell. And they said, uh, hey, uh, what's up with your celly? And I was like, I don't know what. And they said, is so, uh, you know, is he a punk or what? And I was like, man, I don't know, man. I don't I don't get into any of that. And they were like, hey, look, look, ask him, uh, ask him if he's cool making something on the side, you know. And they were basically, basically, and they said, and then if you get him to, you know, play along, you know, we'll break you off something, you know, whatever. What part of, they wanted me to pimp out my celly to them. And there was five black guys that were standing behind him, like watching to see what the reaction was going to be, eagerly watching. And I was just like, 
disgusted, man. I was like, what the heck? What kind of world am I in? And I remember I was just like, how do I be as, how do, <laughs> how do you respond to that? I mean, I could have made a big deal about it and all that type of stuff. And that could have just blown up my face. I could have been just a sick O and said, yeah, yeah, I'll talk to him about it and I'll play it. I said, man, I don't want anything to do with that, man. I said, look, you, you guys know me. I'm about my faith. I'm in the word. I don't want to be doing any of that type of stuff. And I remember that guy was like, hey, man, it's cool. It's cool. I just want to ask you could you could make some hustle on the side. And I'm like, I'm good. You know, I didn't want to say thank you because I didn't want to thank him for that offer. But these are this these are some of just the crazy things that I was seeing and stuff like that. And it wasn't just me. It was several other guys that were seeing it. And so what happened is when they got around the table which is probably what happens with people get around in their group threads and they're, you know, texting to each other and this and that. And they're saying, these people do this and that people do that. And they're and, and they're like, hey, I'm in my safe haven. I can now be open with how I feel about that race and about those people and all that stuff. And that's when all that stuff kind of really comes out and all that stuff. And I'm telling you that it was hard not to to completely fall into that train of thinking to where you start thinking, man, what I'm seeing is that this must be all black people. They must all be violent. They must all be loud. They must all be sexual deviants. They must all be this way. They're all problems, blah, blah, blah. Cause that's what prison, that's what the culture is putting on you. And I hate to point it out and say it's specifically only about black people, but in that culture, the people that everybody had to, I guess, that they had the most contention with were the brothers, right? And I was getting bombarded with this over and over and over again, day in and day out from other people listening to them, having my own experiences, seeing the constant tension that was going on. And I was just thinking, I remember getting sucked into a place where I was starting to hate people of color because of what I was seeing. I remember that. And honestly, I'm not going to lie to you, man. I am ashamed to admit it, but at the same time, I'm like, it's also perfectly logical in a purely humanistic way that if you see things constantly happening in a bad light, that you're going to go there mentally. Now, there were things that kept me from falling into that abyss of thinking, okay? And so those are some of the things that I want to share. Mainly what I needed was I needed a break. I needed some space to be able to think things through where I wasn't being hammered by the culture and by the group thinking that was going on day in and day out. And I needed some type of lifeline some something that some basis of reality that could help me break away from the prison reality that I was seeing the first one of those was that Sully that I was telling you about that I was really cool with that I really liked and I cannot remember his name but and and that was having the problems with everybody else and I was like hey you guys don't speak for me and all that whenever I was getting to a place where I'm like man all black people 
you can't say that and yet have somebody there that you're like, you're black and I'm closer with you than I am with any of these white guys. <laughs> I'm closer with my Mexican Sally than I am with any of these other white guys or anybody else. There was like that, those types of relationships were like a, a break from the barrage to help ground me and say, to keep me from saying, oh, all these people are this way, but how could they all be this way? But I've got this guy over here that's completely breaking those rules, right? And breaking that train of thought and all that type of stuff. So I'm very grateful for him being in my life and helping me just f from the barrage and the onslaught of negative thinking towards people of other race, you know. I'm super grateful for that. But the next thing happened was when I went to the faith-based dorm, the faith-based dorm was a completely break for me in that dorm was a complete break from the prison culture. It was my first time that I was actually able to get out, breathe some air that felt sane or a whole lot saner than what I had been breathing and living and experiencing. I'm going to go ahead and cut in right there. And we're going to go ahead and take a break and we'll come back and revisit this subject and finish out tomorrow. Uh, like I said, I've already got it recorded. I'm just wanting to not make this too heavy, too long. And so anyway, I just want to say again, thank you guys so much for your patience. Thank you guys for being here. Look forward to the next one. Love y'all. Peace. so much for joining me for this podcast on whatever platform you're choosing you can find the prison state podcast on apple Podcasts and stitcher now as well as the red circle podcast if you want to throw your support for the show the three best ways are to subscribe leave a review especially if it's five star and to share with anyone you think would be interested those three things will help me build some organic traction which is really the best kind any comments or tips that you have for me, feel free to share them via the email or the Facebook link that I will be leaving in the description. For all of your support and listening to the show, I want to thank you from the bottom of my heart. I look forward to the next one. Please remember, stay sane, be positive. Peace.